Welcome back to Health Science Starts Here, brought to you by Salus University. Do you ever get that tip of the tongue feeling? You know, the one where you know what word you want to say, but it's just not coming out the way you want it to? Or maybe you look at the headlines of the morning newspaper, but you're just not able to recognize or process the words? Well, for those living with aphasia, things as simple as finishing a sentence or reading the newspaper can become monumental challenges after having a stroke. And more importantly, the frustration and isolation that people with aphasia experience can be just as difficult to manage. So this week, we spoke with Ali Finkelstein from the Speech Language Institute to dig deeper into our understanding of aphasia. Ali Finkelstein, and I am a clinical educator in the Speech Language Institute at Salus. So great to have you here today. Thank you. And we're talking about aphasia. So you are the aphasia expert here at Salus. Could you tell us a little bit about what aphasia is? Sure. Uh, aphasia is an acquired communication disorder, meaning you're not born with it. Um, and it may occur after a stroke or a brain injury or another type of neurological disease. Um, it's an impairment of language. So it may affect verbal expression, auditory comprehension, written expression, or reading comprehension, or a combination of those modalities. Um, but the important thing is that it's a loss of language, not intellect. Right. So I've seen it written a few ways as aphasia and dysphagia. Are they related? Are they similar? Or so those are two totally different things. Okay. Um, aphasia is the language disorder right. that we just that I've just mentioned. Dysphagia is a swallowing disorder. Okay. So um, I think the confusion sometimes comes when um, somebody sees dysphagia, D-Y-S-P-H-A-S-I-A, right. instead of D-Y-S-P-H-A-G-I-A. So the S-I-A um, is another way to say aphasia, but aphasia is the, the term that's used Got now. Um, a person with aphasia uh, may present with only one modality of language impairment. As I mentioned, it could be just verbal expression that's um, impaired. Um, but typically, aphasia affects several modalities at the same time, um, and the level of um, impairment is based on the severity of the stroke itself and the le brain lesion itself. So a person with mild aphasia may have only slight difficulty retrieving the names of objects, whereas somebody with a more severe aphasia may be unable to put words together to form a sentence um, or to indicate their needs. Others may speak fluently, um, but their sentences don't make sense and they have difficulty understanding others um, and recognizing their own errors. So obviously it sounds like every case of aphasia is very specific to the client or patient that you're seeing. Exactly. Um, you know, as no two individuals are alike, no two cases of aphasia are alike. And um, we, we typically classify aphasias on, according to um, different categories. Um, and but you can have two people that have the same type of aphasia, but they're going to still present differently. Um, the two general classifications are expressive or receptive aphasia. So expressive aphasia is also known as fluent aphasia. So with that, you're going to um, see maybe poor comprehension. Um, their words may lack meaning. Um, their speech might have a normal vocal inflection, um, but they have typical 
as I mentioned, they have difficulty understanding the speech of others, and they don't recognize their own speech errors. Um, somebody with the other type of classification, which is the expressive aphasia or non-fluent aphasia, they generally have good comprehension, but there may be long hesitations between words um, when they're trying to express themselves, and they may, may make grammatical errors. Um, and you know that tip of the tongue feeling that we all get from time to time when we're trying to think of a word or say the word's name. Um, we all have that, especially as we get older. <laughs> um, but a person with aphasia um, who has that uh, tip of the tongue feeling, it's more severe. They can maybe even name objects in their environment um, or simple labels and sometimes family members' names. So that's what's very frustrating to them. So. Do patients normally come to you knowing already that they have aphasia, and or do you diagnose someone with aphasia? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, here at Salis University in our, in our Speech Language Institute, they typically have been given the diagnosis of aphasia because they've um, received treatment in an acute care hospital and then maybe have gone to a rehab facility um, or have received home care. So they've typically seen a speech pathologist before coming to the institute, or maybe very limited treatment, but still they've heard that diagnosis. Um, but sometimes they don't really fully understand that, or, the, or their family members or caregivers don't fully understand it. So um, we do do a complete evaluation and then give them more information on aphasia and, um, and what our treatment goals would be. So could you describe what an aphasia evaluation is like? Sure. So. Um, Typically, we conduct a very thorough interview, not just with um, the person with aphasia, but who's ever important in their life. Um, typically, it'll be a caregiver or a, um, a spouse, another, you know, parent. parent could be, yeah. Um, so we, we want to find out what the needs of the whole unit is. So not just the person with aphasia, but what were they typically like? You know, how do they function now? What's a daily, what's their daily routine like? So we get a lot of that information on that first meeting with them. And then um, we conduct some formal testing that involves all those language modalities that I just mentioned to you. So we'll look at their auditory comprehension, their reading comprehension, their ability to express themselves verbally, and their ability to write. And we'll see which modalities we want to target and which are most important for that individual. But we try to make it very functional. Um, we want them, you know, the whole goal is communication. It's not just being able to speak, so. So I know you mentioned it normally happens in adults who had a stroke, but mm -hmm. do you ever see aphasia in more childhood cases or pediatric No, it's, it's an acquired, um, okay. I, I shouldn't say no. Um, there have been children and adolescents who have, um, who have have the rare instance of a stroke, but um, most typically it's adults. Um, it's usually um, following a stroke uh, is probably the most common ones that we see, um, but it could be any injury, um, brain injury. Um, but depending on where that lesion is, um, there's going to be um, different levels of impairment. So one of the primary language centers in the brain is in the left hemisphere. Um, and it's called Broca's area. So this is kind of more in the frontal area of the brain, and that's involved with, it controls language production and speech gestures. Um, but that's just one area. And then another primary area is that, that controls language comprehension would be Wernicke's area, which is a little bit more posterior in the brain. So one or more of those areas can be affected. 
Um, but fortunately, there are other areas of the brain that support those primary language centers um, that can assist with communication. So that's what we're, our goal is. And then, of course, there's brain plasticity. So we're, um, you, we want to make sure that we're you know, using any modality that we can to kind of build that, those um, compensatory strategies up. So what types of therapy or treatment can clients expect when they come to the Speech-Language Institute? Right, well, it's going to be um, based on um, their needs, obviously, and uh, which modalities are most impaired. Um, so uh, we typically have goals that work on uh, word retrieval um, and being able to um, communicate basic needs with their families. Uh, we work on uh, them being able to um, uh, label their family members. <laughs> um, that's a very important one. Uh, and a lot of times we'll um, involve family as well and train them how to do some things at home that will promote um, communication. Right, so it's not just when you're in SLI, you know, oh, it's yeah. all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't, we don't want the family members to do therapy at home per se, but we give the clients homework. We um, show them different things that they might do on their computers. Um, Patients who are more severely impaired might use augmentative devices. Right, I've um, seen, uh, I think once there was an iPad sort of thing. Uh, yes, that's very common. Um, and uh, it's used not just for communication, but you can kind of make it a therapy tool as well. So you're, you're building, um, you know, the lexical retrieval or ability to think of words, say words, write words, reading comprehension you might do on that. Um, so there's, we try to hit every modality, right. and but make it life participatory too. Right, all relevant life skills. Right. Um, so, what do you find your clients struggle with the most when they experience aphasia? I would say um, frustration. Um, they feel isolated, and um, part of that, part of breaking through that is to um, have them join a support group so that they can meet others with aphasia and it's also for their caregivers and loved ones so that they can get support and education and resources. Um, and it, it reduces that feeling of isolation and it, it, it's an important part of therapy because it engages them in a social setting that they might otherwise not go to. Right. Yeah. So you run the support group here at Salas in the Speech Language Institute, and right. could you talk more about that? Yeah, um, it, you know, it's one of um, the things I love the most about being here. Uh, I actually supervise two graduate students who run the, run the meetings, um, but we collaborate on um, how we're going to plan each meeting. So our um, aphasia support group meets the second Thursday of each month from 2 to 3 p.m., and we've grown. We started it in July of 2017, where we had maybe two or three members. Yeah. Um, and then most recently, um, we've had, a, we're averaging maybe between 12 and 14. That's a good turnout. Yeah, it's really, it's really great. They're very supportive of each other. They, um, they maintain relationships outside of the group. Yeah. Um, they all, uh, are they all clients of SLI, or have they come from other Yeah, they, most of them are. Um, we've had some uh, caregivers and others who just want to attend for uh, education. Um, so they might not have aphasia, yeah. but they have a loved one who maybe doesn't feel like coming to the meeting yeah. yet, and so they'll come and um, get, get the education there. Um, 
So yeah, it's just it's been very successful. We typically do different topics each month. The students have been great about planning um, topics of interest that the clients have expressed an interest in. Um, they usually have a little PowerPoint up there, but they'll you know use it as a visual aid, which is important for folks with aphasia. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really happy with it. Yeah. So. What would you say your favorite, this is a weird question, not your favorite part of aphasia, but working as an Work, SLP, yeah. what's your favorite part yeah. of it? Um, well, I feel like I've learned so much from our aphasia clients, I mean, or any of our clients that have a communication disorder, but specifically those with aphasia, um, that population tends to be, you know, middle-aged or older. Um, and I just learned their resilience and their perseverance. Um, and it's just, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. Um, so that's probably my favorite part is interacting with them and their families. Yeah. That's great. Um, so it looks like we went through most of the questions. Is there anything else you'd want to mention or talk about just about SLP or yeah. SLI in general? Um, we're trying to in increase aphasia awareness overall um, through the support group, but also um, we're going to be training some uh, PA students um, in terms of um, informing them yeah. in terms when they you know are um, doing patient interviews with somebody with aphasia and their and their family members. So that's going to kind of a, a project that one of the capstone groups is yeah. working on. Um, and just in terms of tips for communicating with someone with aphasia, um, be patient, allow plenty of time for a response, speak with them rather than for them. Um, use simple short sentences, speak face-to-face, -face, try to minimize distractions, and maybe use a, a quiet environment when you really want them to um, uh, get the most from the conversation. Um, if they have an augmentative device, um, encourage them to use that. Even just a pen and paper sometimes. I mean, not everybody can use that um, if they have a lot of um, writing issues, but sometimes we have several clients that carry a little you know, notebook and pen pencil, and they use it consistently. So um, I would say to encourage that. Or maybe they just gesture, encourage yeah. the gesture, because the goal is communication. Mm -hmm. cool. yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. My name is Alyssa Nguyen, and this is Health Science Starts Here. Check back every other week for new episodes and listen everywhere podcasts are available. To learn more about any of the topics we talked about today, visit salis.edu slash podcast.